We are continuing in our series that we begun uh, about six weeks ago called The Heart of Worship. The Heart of Worship. And just looking at worship from various angles in Scripture, different perspectives in Scripture, uh, probably uh, next week we're going to switch and spend a little more time talking about different aspects of praise and distinguish what's the difference between worship and praise. I know I use them simultaneously, but praise has a little different uh, uh, perspective, and so we want to talk more about that. And uh, perhaps a lot of this is new, uh, talking about worship. You Maybe uh, we have a lot of uh, church backgrounds here, and uh, you come from different uh, places and backgrounds, and maybe you came from where, uh, you know, the, the contemporary worship music and lifting your hands and singing and doing those things is very natural. Maybe you came from another, you know, background where there was a little bit more formal, you know, that you opened the bulletin and, you know, there was very detailed order of worship there, right? Uh, had a moment of spontaneity, you know, after the offer. No, I'm kidding. But, uh, but everything was very programmed and written out, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with that either. I think the thing is, when you look at the body of Christ, you see a variety of expressions. And then that's not even, that's just staying here in the United States. You travel overseas and you see a whole other expression and way of doing worship. That's why I'm always a little... Uh, amused and annoyed when people start trying to say, this is biblical worship. You only can worship this way. I'm like, really? Really? That's how they did it in the New Testament? No, that's, you know, <laughs> uh, know your history a little bit. So God had, just, just, the, uh, just the reason why God has a variety of, I mean, just look around us here. There's a variety of people here. There's going to be a variety of ways that we express ourselves. And uh, some people are just naturally more expressive. Some people are more reserved. And we want you, whatever, however it is that you engage in worship, that's okay. But we want you to be engaged in a heart of worship, okay? Don't be worrying about trying to do this or trying to do that. Do it from the heart. Do it as a natural expression of exalting the Lord. But it doesn't mean that uh, just because something might not be natural or you've never done it this way or maybe don't have a back, it doesn't mean you can't learn and grow in your understanding of worship and how you and I can grow and as a worshiper before the Lord. Okay, I don't know everything there is about worship, and I doubt you do either. And so maybe it's something different, but, but be open to growing and making sure that, hey, when we are talking about these aspects of worship, that the Word of God gives us that foundation, and uh, maybe I can... Maybe I can uh, grow a little bit. You know, maybe this old dog can learn a few new tricks, as they say. So uh, um, be open to doing that. But God made us uh, to give him worship. And, you know, we've talked about worship. The word worship uh, means worthship, to give God worth. So when we talk about worship, we're not just talking about sing, you know, watching this the worship team sing songs, and we're kind of just standing, listening, and being entertained uh, passively, but, but they are up here leading us to that really, the, the, you know who the worship team is? It's sitting out there. They're just prompters to help us to engage, and uh, so worship is to give God His worth, if you will, and uh, we have been created uh, and redeemed by Christ 
uh, to do that. That's one of the reasons and purposes Christ redeemed us as a people, to exalt Him and to give glory to His name. Some of these things, a couple of things I'm going to read again because uh, you may not have been here and it's just sometimes it's good to uh, read them again and refresh to help us again be reminded when we're talking about worship. Bob Coughlin, who leads the Sovereign Grace Music, uh, those of you who are guests, you get a little CD from Sovereign Grace Worship. They do a great job. And uh, he, he just uh, has written and, and uh, is a great leader of worship. And he says this, he said, Worship matters. It matters to God because He is the one ultimately worthy of all worship. It matters to us, or it should matter to us, because worshiping God is the reason for which we were created. A.W. Tozer, that I quote a lot, and perhaps in regards to worship, because he wrote a book called Whatever Happened to Worship, but, but, he, but even in his other writings, he, he, he just has such a God-exalted view of, of, uh, of worship that he's always, uh, there's always fruit in his, in his writings to pull from. And I've read this before, but I'm going to read it again. He says, Yes, worship of the loving God is man's whole reason for existence. That is why we are born, and that is why we are born again from above. That is why we were created, and that is why we have been recreated, born again. That is why there was a genesis at the beginning, and that is why there is a regenesis called regeneration. That is also why there is a church. The Christian church exists to worship God first of all. Everything else must come second or third, or fourth, or fifth, or sixth, right? And so why do we as a church, we are here as the gathered people, not just to worship here on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, but our lives are to be engaged in giving God His worth. Christianity is not just the accumulation of information. It isn't just the accumulation of theology, but it's the accumulation of knowledge that should warm and fuel your heart and your spirit to worship God. You've heard me say many times, if you're very knowledgeable about the nature and character of God, but your heart is cold and indifferent to really loving God and, and having a warmth that you have a relationship that's growing and, 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 uh, and, and thriving, and, and then something there's a disconnect there. Uh, because there's a disc, you know what they say, about 18 inches between the brain and the heart. And there's a disconnect between what I'm taking in here and what God is doing. And I say heart figure to be like the Bible, my spirit that God has rebirthed. So we're talking about the heart of worship. We're continuing this morning in this series. And I just again refresh that as some uh, uh, would be helpful. But this morning we're going to uh, look at uh, another aspect of worship that helps us to have that proper perspective. Because I believe that, again, if we just solely talk about worship in regards to how we sing, do we sing hymns or choruses, do we use instruments or not use instruments, do we use percussion or not use percussion, do we have the sound system and all. And so a lot of times when you listen to the way worship is talked about in, in a lot of the church today, uh, it is a lot of times talked about in a very performance-driven way. 
uh, and it may have its place to some degree, but I'm afraid that what happens in the performance and production of worship, we're losing people that God has created to have, that we are called to be worshipers, not just a handful of professionals. Do you hear what I'm saying? Just again, like you are to be a witness for the gospel, not just the pastor. You're to be growing and, and teaching yourself and others in the knowledge of the Word of God, not just the professional, if you use that term. And so God wants us to continually to have a perspective, and I believe this is that when we have that right perspective of who we are worshiping, then how we worship tends to fall into place. That's just kind of a general statement. So, so worship is giving adoration for God. And having a heart for worship is so critical. I thought of the scripture Isaiah 29, 13. I think I put it, it'll be on the screen. And this was scripture that Isaiah was speaking about the Jews of his day. Jesus quoted this, I think, in Matthew 15 and attributed this to the, the people of his day. And the Lord said, and this is Isaiah the prophet speaking, says, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. They do all, I mean, the, 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 the emphasis or the, the implication is they're, they're doing all the quote-unquote right things of worship, praise, you know, they're doing all the motions, they're doing all the ritual, they're doing all the stuff, coming to church, we might would say, and they're, they're singing the songs, and they're taking notes in their body. They're doing all the things. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are disconnected from me. God wants us to have a heart to Him and a heart for worship, and the heart of worship is cultivating my life to know God in a deeper, more profound way that my expression of worship is meaningful and genuine. And so this morning, we are going to just continue laying a little, continue laying layers of foundation and looking at things from a different perspective. Turn your Bibles over to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Not Revelations, it's Revelation chapter 1. And we're going to look at some scenes in Revelation chapter 1, and we're going to also look at in Revelation chapter 4, in just some snapshots that will, again, help us to get a full perspective on worship. Now, you know, Revelation is uh, written, recorded, it was a revelation, it was something revealed uh, to the Apostle John. Apostle John, one of the twelve uh, disciples, apostles, and at this time uh, that when uh, he wrote uh, Revelation, uh, received Revelation, the Revelation through Christ, at this period of time that uh, he is on the island of Patmos. And you see verse 9 on the screen where he tells us where he's at and what's going on. He says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom uh, uh, and the patience patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Patmos was an island that was kind of where they sent prisoners exiled. John 
was uh, arrested and he was held uh, prisoner in exile on the island of Patmos under the Roman government. All of the other disciples, apostles, were all martyred or killed because of their testimony uh, to Christ, because of their faith. But he tells you why he's being held uh, on Patmos, because he says, on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, because he was a faithful servant of the Lord, he was an apostle, he was a leader, and in God's providence, uh, he uh, died of old age in this prison exile, if you will, on this island. He was the last apostle standing. And so Revelation, the book of Revelation, uh, there's a blessing to reading all of the Word of God, but to my knowledge, the book of Revelation is the only book that specifically states in the beginning that you'll be blessed if you read it. There's a special blessing for reading the book of Revelation. And it's interesting that uh, there's so much confusion concerning Revelation and, uh, you know, I, I don't claim to understand all the, you know, sometimes some of you might ask me some question about this in chapter 10, 11, I'm like, I don't know. Let me look it up like you, you know, let me figure it out. But Revelation, if you, and, and maybe this is helpful uh, as we begin, and maybe, maybe as you maybe go back and read the book of Revelation this week, read it with the thinking that worship is the big picture of what the Lord wants to see going on in the book of Revelation. Sometimes we get so bogged down into, you know, the seals and the horsemen and, and this, that, and the other, and we want to know, is that lining up? Are these, are these dragons of flaming fire? Are those F-16 jets representing uh, Russia in the end times? I don't know, and the people that write this stuff don't know any more than you do. They're just making a lot of speculative Maybe educational guesses, but, it, but we don't know. We don't know what all that is. But I do know this, is that if you read Revelation from the sense of seeing the supremacy of Christ and his rulership over all things, and read it with saying, what, how can I read this book? What does this book show me about worship? I think it'll uh, open up reading Revelation in a fresh way. Not that those details aren't important. Je uh, Jesus said every jot and every tittle, which was uh, the smallest little uh, accent marks in the Hebrew language, shall not pass away. Those, those are, details are important, but Revelation has some unique interpretive challenges because of its apocalyptic language and that type of thing. Well, we're not going to get into that. We're going to focus on worship this morning and look at some snapshots and look at some perspective from the Apostle John. And at the time of his writing, the church, uh, as it was growing at this time, was roughly around the year 1995. We're in 2020-22, right? This was around the year 9095. Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem and the temple in the year 70, which was about 20 years before this, had been leveled and destroyed by the Romans. And so the Christian church, like the Jews, they were facing persecution. In fact, Christians were facing much, much uh, greater and a more intense persecution by the Roman emperor, Roman emperor Domitian. Okay? He, was, he was in power, and he's the one that sent the apostle John into prison or in exile. And in God's providence, he kept the apostle John alive so that John could receive and write what we have in written form we call the book of Revelation. And John has a tremendous vision here 
in the book of Revelation and its beginning. And, and I guess what I just say this one more word of introduction, that in the darkest moment of John's life, friends are gone, uh, friends and comrades in the church have been killed or hunted down and persecuted, that in one perspective it seems that the church is in retreat when it's, it's not, and so there's cause for great discouragement in John's life. I mean, he's isolated on this island in prison and exile. There's nothing that he can lean upon. And it's in this setting that Jesus Christ visits him in a supernatural way and reveals to him some tremendous truths that we still are chewing over and wrestling with today and benefiting uh, by the words that Christ spoke to him. So we talk about... Uh, you know, maybe if you have an old King James Bible, it might have a heading, and you know, headings weren't part of the original. It might say the Revelation of John. Well, it's not the Revelation of John, it's the Revelation of Jesus Christ. It was a revelation given to John, but it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And so in this dark moment uh, of John's life, in the most obscure place, Jesus Christ met him in a special way. Aren't you just take, take a moment and think about that. No matter where you are, how down you are, how deep in despair and depression you are, how much people have abandoned you and left you, and you may not have a friend in the world, and even the neighborhood dog doesn't want to get around you. Guess what? Jesus knows where you're at. And Jesus Christ can meet you here this morning and encourage you, and I hope, I hope he does. And so here we see a vocal word to the Apostle John. Look with me, we're going to read a little bit in verse 9. Now, John sees Jesus. Remember, he was, remember in the Gospels, he's sometimes referred to as the one that Jesus loved, which is, people say, well, you mean he didn't love the other 11? No, it's just that there was a special friendship with the Apostle John that was unique. But John, in how he sees Jesus here in Revelation chapter 1, is going to be completely different than what John remembered and saw Jesus in his earthly ministry while he was on earth. So we're going to pick it up in reading, let's pick it up and read it verse 10. Verse 10 of Revelation chapter 1. And ultimately we're going to work our way to Revelation 4, okay? But this just helps us set the stage. John writes, verse 10, Revelation 1, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me, a loud voice like a trumpet, saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. And he names these churches. And that's what are individually addressed in Revelation 2 and 3. Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then, verse 12, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning... I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, and that's Christ, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, 
those that are, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. He was told to write those things down. And so he has this tremendous vision of Christ in the midst of this desolate island of exile and imprisonment. Jesus visits him and, and gives him this wonderful picture in Revelation and his presence. Now turn over to Revelation chapter 4 and uh, we'll just continue. And in chapter 4, uh, we see somewhat of a, of a, of a pivot or a change. Uh, John is physically still where he's at, but, but the setting and the emphasis has changed from things on the earth that he ended chapter 3 with, now as chapter 4 begins, something new is introduced into John's mind and what he sees, even though John, I think, still physically, uh, but yet got, uh, uh, John in the spirit, if you will, uh, spiritually is, is given this tremendous vision where he's taken up and gets a vision of heaven. And I think as we talk about worship, and we're working our way to, to doing that, but I just want to kind of lay, lay a little context here, is that this is where uh, it's really essential when we talk about worship that we have this vision, if you will. Now, obviously, we're not going to have the same vision the Apostle John had. That was a unique uh, setting and gift. But in, in another sense, we need to be reminded and see, if you will, from our own spiritual eyes, uh, that we need to see what John saw and see how that directly impacts and influences how I respond in worship to God. So let's look at Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, this perspective as we want to engage in a deeper and more meaningful act of worship and praise. Look at Revelation Chapter 4, 1. He says, after this, after this, meaning after being told to write these words in chapter 1, after writing to the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3, after this, this is, a, this, is a, this is a new transition here. He says, after this, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. This is a change. This is something different here. This is an open door that John is seeing between where he's at and in heaven. It's an open door, which suggests that it's a, it's a place of entrance. Uh, it's an open door that John is invited, if you will, to enter. Now, here's what's important, and I just want to make a few comments here and not belabor this. Christianity, and this is kind of an awkward way to say it, but Christianity is a supernatural religion. Now, here's what I mean by that. Christianity is not just a set of theological propositions about God and life. It has that. But Christianity is supernatural. Christianity embraces that there is an eternity beyond where we're at, that there is a realm, that there is a world, if you will, use whatever word or term you want, uh, that is beyond what we see here and now. We operate in this world through our five senses, right? Now, if I start naming them, I'm going to forget one. Touch, taste, smell, hearing, seeing. 
All right, I did it, right? And that is the way we pretty much function and operate in most of our life. We come into this world, that's how we operate. When we're born again, guess what? There's something that we operate with now that was not available to us until we were born again or regenerated. We operate now not with just the five senses, but now with a spiritual eyes, okay? A spiritual sense. Because God has done something supernatural. We haven't just, yes, there is a change of mind, but it isn't like I'm just convinced, you know, that uh, one day I was, uh, you know, this kind of person thinking of this, and then I read a book, and I got convinced this way, and now I'm convinced this way. No. Yes, God works through our sense of, of our mind, of hearing, of learning, but the work that God does in the believer's life is supernatural. It is an effect of change in our dead self, our dead spirit, if you will, being made alive unto Christ. Why? Because God is spirit, and those who will worship Him must worship Him in spirit. All right? That's, that's the connection. So when I say Christianity is a supernatural religion, I just mean this, is that there is an existence of reality beyond just the physical of what we see and hear right now. Listen, if you've had a loved one, friend, family member who's died, and as a Christian we have this hope, we believe this because we say to be absent from the body is to be what? To be present with the Lord. Well, what does that mean? It means that they are functioning just as real as they were here, even more so, because the Bible tells us that the real, real, you like that? The real, real, the real reality isn't what's down here. The real reality is what is the eternal kingdom of God, the spirit kingdom where God and Christ and the spirit and rules and reigns. Now that may be a little spooky language and terminology, but that is about as fundamental to the word of God as eating and drinking and breathing. All right? That there is a give you some examples of some scripture. It's praying for somebody, just quote it when it says, "We do not war against flesh and blood, but against powers, supernatural entities paraphrasing it." What is he saying? It ain't your mother-in-law that's your problem. It's the spirit behind your mother-in-law that's in. Oh, poor mother-in-laws. We just, we just, I just lost some of you here. Poor. And I had a great mother-in-law, by the way, so that wasn't. Um, you see, again, we focus on the boss. We focus on this. We focus on that. Instead of with our spiritual eyes, we say, wait a minute. They're not the problem. It's who is influencing this moment, this situation. Pray for somebody today and they in their particular situation prayed because they're in a unique very highly concentrated work environment where there's tremendous spiritual warfare and battle that's going on they recognize that you know what the issues and the problems are not the personnel the bosses this that and the other but the enemy has a concentrated anger and hatred in this location and this needs to be approached with spiritual Eyes. When we talk about the tools of the, uh, the armor, the armor in Ephesians. What is that? Ephesians 6. It talks about putting on the full armor of God. It isn't walking around in Roman armor. It's giving a picture that the battle, the fight, 
is spiritual in nature and not just what you see. Here's another example, just things that we know about but just trying to connect. Uh, those of you who have been our study on, uh, in Hebrews on Wednesday night, remember this past week we talked about how Jesus entered into the heavenly sanctuary. He said that the earthly sanctuary was a copy, but the real sanctuary was what is in heaven. Revelation talks about the new Jerusalem coming down from where? Moses was given the pattern of the tabernacle that was based on what? The heavenly tabernacle. So you tell me what is reality. Reality is what is happening in the spiritual dimension where God lives, moves, and breathes. Yes, he's moving and living and operating here on earth. But we, we born-again believers, we now have been made or recreated with a renewed spirit that was dead in sin. And so what John is seeing here, and this again, this will inform us in our worship, John is operating and has operated in a visible reality, but this open door, this open door, he's seeing, he's going to see a vision and an insight into the invisible realm, the invisible reality, if you will. Remember what he said back in Revelation chapter 1? He said, I was on the Isle of Patmos, and I was, and on the Lord's day, I was what? In the Spirit. There's something dynamically happening here that John is experiencing in a spiritual dimension that he's recording, but he's going he's gonna to be revealed some things that are going to help us catch a vision that will help us and inform us in our worship. And so John giving a glimpse to the reality of the heavenly realm is what we're going to see here in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. Give me another quick example. I won't turn to it, but make a note to read 1 Kings 6, 1 Kings 6, 1 through 17. You remember the story when Elisha, not Elijah, Elisha, he was the protege of Elisha. Elisha was raptured to heaven, but Elisha, his protege, is now the prophet of the Lord. And this king uh, was really frustrated because everything this king that was coming against Israel was doing was coming to naught. And the, one of his guys said, well, listen, they, the Israel's got this prophet named Elisha, and uh, everything you say in private, he knows because he speaks to God. And this king says, I've got to kill that guy. And so they surround Israel's army and people, and it looks like Israel is going to face imminent destruction and defeat. And the Bible says that the servant of Elisha said to Elisha, paraphrase the message translation, boss, this is bad. And Elisha prayed that the servant's eyes would be open. To see another reality. Read it. And then it says the servant of Elisha's eyes were open. And you know what he saw? He saw a massive army of chariots surrounding on the hills. What was he seeing? He was seeing into the spiritual reality. Of what God was already doing. 
See, the reason we have so much trouble oftentimes is because we're just we're bound with everything and what's going on. We think this is the reality. But there is a reality that John is going to catch a glimpse of, and he's got an open door. And guess what? The Lord gives us an open door here this morning. One word that I thought of, uh, and it's, some of you will know what this word, if you work with photography or telescopes, you know what the word aperture is. You know what that is, right? Aperture is the, if you buy a camera or a telescope or something of that nature, and you will want to know what the aperture is of that lens, because the aperture is the, and the, the uh, size of it, uh, the diameter uh, of that aperture is going to determine the aperture is that from that opening of the lens through which light passes to enter into the camera or the telescope. Bigger aperture, more light, bigger picture, right? Small aperture, what? Little light, little picture. Listen, I want us to have an open door, big aperture to get more light of what's happening and what God is doing beyond the here and now. And I guarantee you, when we begin to have hearts and minds, I'm not saying being fruity or looty or crazy and all that kind of thing. No, this is Christianity in its very basic form. We are a supernatural people. Why didn't God just say, here's a book of propositions about me, figure it out? No, he recreated us spiritually. Why? Because we need that we will live with him spiritually. And one day at the return of Christ, physically, we'll rule and reign on this planet. But we will be new people, new glorified people that will walk not by the flesh, but will walk commanded by the Spirit. You see, when Adam was created, Adam was a spiritual being. How could he have fellowship and walk with the Lord in the cool of the day? And so, God, help us to have a big aperture and vision this morning. Help our lens to be increased a little bit. Now, I told you that was going to be a long introduction. But I guarantee you this is a short outline. The title this morning is Heaven's Perspective on Worship. I told uh, Melissa, who's doing our media this morning, I said, don't panic. I've got a lot of things I don't have slides for. But this morning we want to look at heaven's perspective on worship. Three observations in Revelation chapter 4. Hope you have your Bibles. Number one, notice the invitation to worship. Notice the invitation to worship. This is what the Apostle John heard. He says, verse 1, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. You see the identification uh, there, this invitation, come up here, there's, in, there's identification, there's explanation, and there's invitation. Come up here. The Lord and again, I'm not talking about in a literal that we're going to, but I'm saying the Lord wants us to come higher in our understanding of who He is. Higher, and, at the, and when we get a larger 
expanded aperture lens to see God in all his beauty, in all his wonder, my friend, I assure you that that will affect what you do in the here and now on this dirt planet that we live on. And notice this, and this to me seems the key to history when he says, I will show you what must take place. Don't miss this. That's telling me that the spiritual rule is ruling the earthly rule. You see, the orders and plans are coming from up there. See, the we just think that what uh, Putin is doing and the United Nations and the fighting that never ends in Washington and all this turmoil, oh, it's terrible, it's so bad. But guess what? The Lord gives John a vision when he says, come up here and I want you to, end, I want you to see what must take place. I want you to see the plans that I have as the one who rules and reigns over all things. That's a vision I think we need to see, that the heavenly controls the earthly. Let me paraphrase it this way, just for brevity. It seems that Jesus is saying something like this. John, listen, things are not as they appear to be. They never are, John. I'm about to show you things as, though, as they really are. I'm about to walk you into the throne room of the universe and show you what is real. Things are not out of control. The devil has not won. He hasn't had the last word. Evil has not triumphed. Man is not a victim of cruel chance. We are not living on some large ball that is about to explode and spend us, send us all into oblivion. John, I want you to walk through this door and catch a glimpse of what is really real. Now, as I said, we're not the Apostle John. But by his word and by the application of the Spirit, the Lord is wanting us to have a similar vision of this reality and to see that what God is doing and who God is and where he's at, that that is, that is what will control and mediate how we operate here and the discouragement that I'm facing. Remember, John is in, he's on an island by himself, more or less. Dark, terrible, depressing, no friends. Friends he had have been killed because of their stand for Christ. And the Lord says, John, it ain't over. It's not done. I want you to see. Come through the open door. I want you to see what is really, really going on. And so the Apostle John heard the, this voice. That is the invitation that God wants us to, to come through, if you will, that open door. That open door into his presence. But there's a second aspect, and that is not just the invitation, but the inspiration for worship. And I love this. The inspiration for worship. Notice what the Apostle John saw. Two things he saw. Two things. He saw, he said, at once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven. What does he see? What does he see? He doesn't see God pacing up and down. He doesn't see God wringing his hands. He doesn't see God, uh, you know, crumpling up the New York Times and thinking how things have gotten so out of hand. What? He sees a throne in heaven. Now, when I 
When you hear the word throne, what do you think about? Royalty. You think of rulership. We talk about the sovereignty of God. That speaks about the rule of God. He said, I see a throne. That means that the invisible reality, there is a throne, there is rulership, there is the sovereign control of God. And see, our dilemma oftentimes is we have that backwards. We see this is the reality of what's controlling our lives in this earth. And John is catching a vision through the open door, and he sees a throne. He sees a throne. The Bible in Psalm 47, 8 says, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Isaiah 66, 1, the Lord says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Not on the screen, but we know from our study of Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 16, let us then Come with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace in time of need to receive mercy. Some 47 times is the word throne used in the book of Revelation. Do you think the Lord wants us to kind of get something here? But he also saw something else, not just a throne, but look at verse 2. And I have the NIV up there, I just like the way it reads it. He said, at once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven. And here's the second thing he saw with someone sitting on it. I love that. Someone sitting on it. You know, people think the throne is up for grabs, but too, ba- too, too late. Too late. Someone's already there and sitting on that throne, the invisible The kingdom of God controls the visible. Is that a comfort to you? Does that comfort you? I think it does. It comforts me. It it, it helps me sleep at night. It helps me rest. Does that change the way that perhaps you need to think about the one you pray to? Are you just talking at God or are you talking with God? Are you talking with God as you enter the open door if you will, through our prayer, through the reading of the Word of God, experiencing the presence of God. And see, God wants us to live as though that becomes a reality to us because guess what? When we draw our last breath as Christians, our heart beats its last beat, guess what? That is going to be the reality for eternity. And it is just as real as the seat you're sitting in. I think if we could catch a glimpse, and I'm not, I'm suspicious a lot of these books of people that write and they die and they go to heaven and they write books. Paul speaks about writing, going to heaven, and he said, I couldn't even utter, I couldn't even speak words of what I saw. Figure that out. I believe Paul rather than some of these other, you know, and they see, I don't know, all sorts of weird things. (laughs) Uh, But when we capture an understanding that eternity in my heart and the reality of the presence of God, I, I, let's say it this way, and I just said in original, I've heard somebody else say it similar, probably better than I'll say it. That when I step over 
I would like the reality of the presence of God to be so real now that I kind of almost don't notice it because it's, it's just a step up and over because of the reality of His presence and goodness in my life is so real and tangible now that i just like, oh, wow. This is an upgrade. A big upgrade. Because I'm living in the reality of what John sees in that open door now. That's why... This is a motivation to try that when you worship individually or even you come corporately, that you're not just worshiping and singing words on a screen. Sometimes when we worship, the reason we close our eyes is not because there's some mystical thing going on. It's, it's sometimes you close our eyes because we want to concentrate and, and, and focus on the one that we're singing about. Sometimes the reason we, we lift our hands is because hands, which we'll talk about in the next week, raising your hands is an expression of giving that worth. It's an expression of surrender. It's an expression of, I mean, look at, just look at, look at a, a, a and some of you are old enough, you've had your share of rock concerts, right? Some of you remember going to, See Boston and Queen and standing in long lines. And you're like, oh, I'd never do that today. There was a day you, you did it all, you, right? And you go in there and what? Back in the day before, you know, now they take the phones and the lights. But you had your little Bic lighter, <laughs> right? You know? There's something about, you know, and again, biblically speaking, it's a ex- physical expression you see, when God saves us, he, he didn't just save us to just be, you know, the frozen chosen. He wants us to be, he wants us to have life. And our bodies have life. He wants to put a smile on your face, joy. You ever looked at a picture before somebody became a believer and you see a transformation, now they're a believer, and all of a sudden you literally see a physical demeanor change in their, their countenance, right? Because why? Because the Spirit of God does something to us. And he does something to us that it doesn't matter. Some people are worried about, well, what will people think if they see me raising their hands? Let me tell you something. They're not going to think anything. You're not, that, you're not that center of attention here, okay? They're not, worried, they're not worried about you. And here's a tip. Close your eyes and nobody will see you. I, that's a little help to somebody, right? But what are you doing? You're not, you're not performing. You're not impressing anybody. You're just saying, Holy Spirit, I want I want." to go through that open door, if we will. I, wanna, I want you to know that I love you, Lord, and I lift up my voice to you this morning. And, and God, this has been a horrible week, and I, and I haven't sensed that. I haven't seen the open door all week, but this morning through the worship and the music, I see in, in my heart, I, I see as though John saw that open door where I see the reality of heaven and I'm reminded that there's a throne and there's someone sitting on that throne. And you know what? It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And there's a third aspect. And that's the instruction for worship. Highly symbolic language. A lot of the symbolism people have wrestled with for years makes why it's so sometimes difficult to be exact and authoritative that what this means. I think that if you, if you had to catch a vision of something, 
and you had to describe something you've never seen before in your life, and your only frame of reference was to something that you knew or saw. And back in this day, you might use things that were things that you knew and saw as ways to describe eyes going around, and it looks like, you know, and, and there's people, you ever seen people try to draw these things from the book of Revelation? I'll just be honest with you. Some of it's just bizarre and weird. I don't know if that's what that is. I know what's being described here. But you know what? Maybe it's just better we leave the drawings to God and just, you know, don't, 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 don't try to recreate some of these things. That's just me. Two cents. All right. All right. But notice some things that he learns here. John the Apostle. Look with me in verse 3. And he who sat there, this is that one on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, that's a, a stone, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald, verse 6, and before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal, and around the throne on each side of the throne are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. Verse 8, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. That sounds like Isaiah chapter 6, doesn't it? Verse 9, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are You, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things, and by Your will... By your sovereign will, they existed and were created. Let me give you just some three quick things here to take away in our own instruction. What can we learn about worship and insight here? Just real practical. Number one is this. Our perspective of worship must catch a glimpse of the heavenly reality where we see God sitting on a throne. If we don't have that vision of what is real, of what God is doing right now, where Jesus is ruling and reigning. Yes, we are awaiting His triumphant physical return one day, but we're not waiting for Him to rule and reign. He is ruling and reigning right now. And I need to be reminded of that. And my worship is going to be informed and fueled, if you will, by a vision of what God and who, what, who God is and what God is doing. He's seated on a throne. That's the reality. Secondly, the absence of worship from our lives means that we have an inadequate understanding of God. That's the reason it's talking so much about the nature and perspective of God in our worship. You see, because we can focus a lot on techniques and do this and do that and still not be worshiping God. We saw that when we quoted from Isaiah. They love me with their lips. They show, they show expression with their lips, but their hearts aren't far, far from me. You can go to some churches 
Well, I better not go there. All right. No, no, I'm not. No. I'll have to edit it out. So, Thirdly, and I think this is important, when we offer worship to the Lord, we're aligning our hearts and minds to the priorities of heaven. You remember the Lord's Prayer? And we prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done, what? On earth as it is in heaven. That's a prayer of sovereign divine alignment every day. Lord, let me be aligned, my heavenly Father. Let me be aligned to the priorities of heaven this day. On earth, as it hopefully will be one day in heaven. And that's not what it says. As it is in heaven. Let me be in alignment. That's why Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Two practical things you can do if you have a heart that just says, what do I, how can I increase in this? Real simple. It's not, not hard. Everybody can do it. And you, you figure it out in your own way. But if you're not in the habit of reading some scripture every day, start reading in the Psalms. That's a good place to start. And here, everywhere you come in the Psalms, there's 150 of them. You won't run out for a while. <laughs> everywhere you read in the Psalms that speak of God's reign, His greatness, or God's authority, underline it, mark it. You know what I do sometimes? I'll take a, and make it in my little, on the margin, I'll draw a little crown. You know, a little crown, a little three-point crown? Because that's a symbol for me to remind myself that speaks of his rulership. You do that. And when you mark it, turn it into a prayer. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're my shepherd. Thank you that you're guiding me. You're leading me. God, you know all the twists and turns. You know the end from the beginning. Thank you that you're such a faithful shepherd. Thank you that... By your grace, I hear the voice of the shepherd. Keep me from falling false shepherds. Help me to have... You see what I'm talking about? Just praying. Praying the word. You can do that. You can do that in some small measure starting today. And then if you really want to grow, don't not incorporate worship music into your into your day. That may be, you know, there's so many wonderful things online. Hymnals are online now. You don't have to have a book hymnal. And online, just about any and every hymn that's ever been written is online, and you can click it, and it will play the tune, it'll play it for you, and guess what? You can sing and worship. Start with something like, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Start with something that magnifies the name of God. A mighty fortress is our God. Start with how great thou art. Incorporate, again, what are we saying? God, I want a bigger door. I want a bigger aperture. I want a bigger lens. To see who you are, where you are, and what you're doing right now in my life and in this world. And that, my friends, cannot help but lead you in a place of worship that will be informed with true biblical meaning and content 
Because what are you doing? You're catching, what did he see? He caught a vision of God. 